All right, everybody, we're back. I'm Randall. This is my wife, Kelly. Hey, guys. This is episode three. Yeah, episode three. Are we veterans now? Hmm. Still rookies. Yeah. We feel like rookies. I think this is our rookie season. Yes. Baseball players are rookies for the whole year. I think that's the way it goes. And oh, so, yeah? Yeah. So this is your rookie year. This okay. is our rookie year. Right. Well, you've been at this for a year, right? Full time? Like, oh, uh, like. That's true. So, that's true, but not podcasting. Okay. No. You move into amateur status? What uh, do you. Sure. Like minor leagues? <laughs> yes. We are the minor leagues. We're, you're, in, you're in the minor. I'm still a rookie. I've only been doing this since March. I'm still playing um, backyard baseball, I oh, think. Okay. So, All right. Like sand, so we're sandlot. We're sandlot. Okay. This is a sandlot production. Level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sandlot level. Uh, podcast. So okay. if, if you want to hear from the pros, they're out there. Yeah, we um, love them. And we love them and we we benefit from them. But, yes. uh, but we're um, we're earning our way. Okay. Maybe. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope that we earn our way toward um, mm-hmm. pro level. Pro level. Yeah. Sure. One day. Yeah. Okay. That's a good thing to aspire to, right? Okay. <laughs> Um, it's a lot of fun though uh, for me. I don't know if you're having fun on the other side of that mic, uh-huh. but I'm having fun and talking to these people have been a lot of fun. Yeah. But I have a question for you. Okay, let's hear it. You had you grew up in a neighborhood, not in a rural part right. of town. Yeah. I, I grew up in a neighborhood. Do you have like fond memories of your neighbors? Yeah, yeah. Um, we always had really good neighbors. In fact, like my favorite time, we lived in an apartment for about two year, a year and a half, two years, um, which I'm sure as an adult, like really stressed my parents out because we were really noisy kids. And like, that was my dad's saying, right? Like the neighbors, the downstairs neighbors, when we do like a cartwheel in the dining room or when we're like <laughs> jumping from couch to couch and <laughs> He would just always talk about the neighbors. And as an adult, like, I, I can feel that, oh, right? Because yeah, our sure. kids are so loud. I can't imagine having people live below us. But um, we loved it because we had just a ton of kids accessible. Like, yeah. we made up these crazy games, and we're just literally outside. And you remember, like, it was over there in those apartments um, off of Patton Chapel. And so it was kind of a hill. Yeah. Nobody knows what this is, unless you live in Alabama. Yeah. If you're a Birmingham um, resident. Right, yeah, yeah. Know. So it was, like, the top of the hill. Um, and we would start at the top of the hill and roller skate all the way oh, down. No. And I mean, that's like a that's quarter terrifying. mile. It is. And, and then like <laughs> the main road is at the end of that. So like, if we don't stop, right. What's, I don't know, but we, that literally every day. I think it's a little more dangerous now on that road than you, than it was maybe back then. Maybe. Let's just say that. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> we were eighties we um, kids. So that was reckless. Right. <laughs> I um I didn't have a lot of kids in my neighborhood. There were some, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd go down the street and play basketball with. But the one memory that I have of, of a backyard neighbor mm-hmm. was um, I was probably three or four years old, and I don't have a lot of, of – uh, I don't have the full memory. I remember climbing over the fence. Mm-hmm. I remember being in some strange uh, living room watching The Price is Right. <laughs> I remember um, a knock on that person's door and a police officer standing there. I remember riding in the front seat of the police um, car, which was a highlight. And then I remember coming around the corner, seeing my dad on a riding lawnmower going up and down the street looking for me, which was funny because we didn't have a riding lawnmower. (laughs) So there was certainly a level of desperation of trying to figure out where I had gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we think about, when I think about like really close neighbors, 
Um, that's one of the things that stands out is my, um, <laughs> your runaway, my runaway experience to go to the prices, to right. go watch the prices. Right. I don't know if my parents just didn't watch it or yeah. I just don't. You actually ran away another time. Right. And found a neighbor that played checkers. Yeah. I've heard that story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it so was you were a, a wonder. It was a thing for me back in the, okay. back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we had, um, we had some neighbors as adults, you and I, yeah. um, to, um, we were backyard neighbors with a couple named Jeffrey and Amy Ulrich. Yes. Who yeah. Have, uh, who were just tremendous. Neighbors. Oh yeah. We loved them so much. And we moved, you know, we moved to Virginia from out of state, so we didn't know anybody. Um, and then met them and, um, they had three boys and we had three kids, two boys and a girl at the time. Um, and our kids were all the same age. And I mean, I think they actually, we don't, I don't know if it was their kids or our kids, but some, like the, the, probably the collection of all of them, right? <laughs> yes. um, the collective kid mind. They knocked down some planks in the fence yep. so they could go between the houses. It's pretty smart. Right? Yep. Yeah. It was great. It was fabulous. I was all for it because they didn't have to go out into the street. Yeah. It was oh, awesome. It was so great. They And then really, like, remember we were struggling, like, oh, it's so hard to think about moving, but we were renting that house. Yep. Um, and then they ended up getting a job offer out of state. And yep. so then we were kind of like, okay, well. Well, now we can probably move yeah. if they're going to move to If you. they're not here, we're out. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but we didn't we didn't follow them. And now they live like as far away as possible, they right? Do. They're they live in, out in New Zealand yeah, in the land know. of the Shire. <laughs> Just a hop, skip it, and jump away. <laughs> but they're doing good work out there. Yes. And um, we were so excited to hear that they had written a book. Yes. A book on parenting, mm-hmm. a book on caring for your kids. And they are the experts. Yes. They are not in the sandlot. They are the pros. <laughs> yeah, they are the pros. When it comes to this. So um, we're excited yeah. to get a chance to talk to them. And that's what this interview is all about. Mm-hmm. And um, we hope that you enjoy it. Yeah. So through the power of, um, of satellite technology, <laughs> I guess, we're able to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really exciting. For us, uh, Jeffrey is a psychologist, yep. and uh, Amy spends her time as an author, and uh, together they uh, they lead a ministry called Growing Connected. Did I say that right? Yep. You got it. Yeah, I got it. Growingconnected.com. You can find out a whole lot more information mm-hmm. um, about them, but you're going to learn a lot today uh, from them, their wisdom, and, mm-hmm. uh, and their experiences, and uh even have a chance to buy their book, which is incredible. And I wanted to kind of just kind of give some shout outs. These are not my shout outs. These are bigger names than, uh, than, uh, than me. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, but one, um, Brian McLaren, uh, said this, uh, guys, you know this, but, uh, this was, this was pretty big deal where previous generations of parents referred to books by Spock, Dobson, or Chapman, future generations will refer to Ulrich and Ulrich, cool name, by the way, as one of the books that every parent should read. That's a big, that's a big shout out right mm-hmm. there. Um, and then uh, Nicole Schwartz, I'm not going to read her whole quote. The first word is what really um, resonated with me. She just said, finally. <laughs> and there's a whole lot more that she unpacked there. But that, yeah, that that, um, that statement said a lot about um, the impact that this, that this information has. So they wrote a book mm-hmm. called The Six Needs of Every Child. Yes. And, um, and you can pick it up everywhere. Is it everywhere now? It's everywhere. It's yeah, everywhere. You everywhere. Pick it up anywhere you want. 
Um, but um, <laughs> we'd love to just kind of yeah. give you a second, as much time as you need, really, to mm-hmm. help us understand what the six needs are. There's uh, some imagery in here about the compass, right? And would love for you to unpack that. But um, mm-hmm. before before you get to into all of that, maybe help us understand. What the goal of the book is? Is it a, a strategy? Is it a, a guide? Is right. it a theory? Is it a tool? How do you how do you describe it? Mm-hmm. I just want to say, backyard neighbors, we have so many fond memories. I can't believe we're doing this from <laughs> the other side of the world. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So this book, yeah, um, you know, our lives have intersected, raising children, young children, and they're growing up now. It's hard to believe they're becoming um, young adults, but it's a journey. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when we have little kids, uh, parenting uh, can feel um, so intense and like such a pressure and we want to get it right today. And there's plenty of books out there that tell us what we need to be doing right now to make sure it's all going to turn out well. And that's a lot of pressure. Um, and a lot of books, our experience has been um, create more pressure for parents rather than freeing <laughs> them up into the journey that we would believe God has set them on with this person, this unique person in the world. Um, so I think really the goal for me um, was um, uh, with Amy's voice in particular, help uh, to write a book that would give shape or form to being on this journey, uh, recognizing that the no formulas um, really to get it right, being set free from that, but having something concrete to use um, to help. Right. And it's interesting that Jeffrey and I met when Jeffrey was a graduate student at the University of Virginia and I was an undergrad. So I kind of feel like I went to graduate school along with them because we spent <laughs> so many years discussing these mm-hmm. concepts. And so he was studying um, the, the, the science of connection. So attachment research, brain development, child development research, and how it all comes together to show us what it means to be human. Um, and he was particularly working with a lot of foster and adoptive families, both before he graduated, <clears throat> before he had his PhD, and then after working at the um, at the child parent attachment clinic at the University of Virginia. And so it was so fascinating to be on the receiving end of listening to this science and thinking about how, what it, that would mean as we raised our own children, what it meant for the families he was working with, um, what it meant for my understanding of myself and then who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be. And that sense just grew as we had kids. So as we had children, we started to see, oh, this really matters. This really makes a difference in um, how we respond particularly to the hard moments. The good moments, I feel like the science that Jeffrey's found frees us up to enter in and just enjoy. (laughs) And then the hard moments shows us how to get through it and reconnect to be on this. So I think that what I I hope for the book is that it's almost like a map (laughs) or a guidebook. It doesn't tell you where to go. It just says, this is what to expect along the way. And if you're over here in this section, it's going to be bumpy for a while, but that's not the whole map. <laughs> that's not your whole journey. Um, so that's, that's our hope for the book. 
That's yeah. good. Well, and I love, um, I've listened to a couple of y'all's podcasts and obviously I read the book as soon as it showed up. I think I just sat down in your chair and was <laughs> yeah. like, and I'm in. Um, but I love that. I mean, just, it starts out the heart of it is, um, you know, not what do we do? Right. Because that's what we're all asking ourselves. And yeah. I don't think that changes. Like you said, you know, with younger kids and then as they get older, like we're just constantly like, well, what do we do now? But how, how shall I be with this person? Because to me that, that implies it's it's, it's about the relationship. And yeah. for us, what we've seen in, um, you know, the work that we do is that it all comes back to relationships, yeah. transformational, like life change stuff yeah. happens through relationships and our kids that parenting role should, should be one of the most important. Right. Yeah. I think that's hard for maybe I'm just for me, but maybe it's hard for a lot of people to feel, to make that shift from how do I be from, from what do I do to how do I be? Mm-hmm. Because there's a, it, it seems maybe it's just a way that we were raised, but there were the Spocks, you know, and the Chapmans who kind of laid it out and said, if you do this and then you do this and you do this, then you'll be, you'll have this child who is like this. And that's how I was raised. And Mm -hmm. so when it came time to raise our own children, (laughs) there seemed to be a formula that I should just start working. And, um, and then I got kind of stuck in the formula and had a hard time just being. And I think I still struggle with the just being right. um, part. Maybe it's because I'm more doing oriented, but mm-hmm. but some of it is just early training, you know, in the way that that you should right. raise children. And so so it's it was it was kind of a nice it was almost refreshing right. um, to say, okay, leave all of that stuff. Um, behind and let's just maybe, like you said, let's make it a little simpler. Let's take some of the burden off and, Mm -hmm. and just be. And what you're pointing out uh, to Randall is how we get to where our starting point as parents in whatever form um, is influenced both by how it went for us, Mm -hmm. our own personalities and temperament and and what we learn from our own caregivers. Mm -hmm. And it's also influenced by our culture, by the messages we get from the parents to our left and our right and those (laughs) in ahead of us. Um, And so some of these things, yeah, are harder because they go deeper because it's like in your bones, you know, like relationship was done in a certain way uh, and it might be doing focused, you know, or rule focused. Uh, that can be a lot harder than if you realize, wait a second, my, my gut tells me I want to dig into connection and relationship, but my, my culture is telling me I need to do something. That can be easier because you're just like, oh, I don't have to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I've, I have permission to just go with my gut, which is to connect. And I may need to fill in some of the details about what that means or looks like. So, yeah, it, it, people will interact with the book from different places for sure. It's interesting. When we started, when we started dreaming about the book, we, I was just going to be supporting Jeffrey to pull together the science and he was going to write it on his own. But then over the years of having kids, I realized we'd have a difficult interaction and I would, I would respond to my kids in some way. And I would immediately feel these, these waves of shame or guilt, or like I was doing something wrong. And I could, I could almost picture parenting books on my shoulder 
or <laughs> or messages from my own childhood being like, well, that was the wrong move, Amy. Well, you probably messed them up. You know, these things. But no, we need something different. So I hope that the stories that I tell of just our family interactions are also helpful. And I did try to throw myself under the bus a little bit because we're all human. It's like, right. I get mad at my kids or I have meltdowns myself. They have meltdowns. Things are disappointing. You know, all these things. It doesn't mean that it's not beautiful. And it doesn't, but I just really want to release people from, from the shame that for whatever reason really does seem to accompany us on this parenting journey and steals a lot of the joy that really yeah. can be with us. Yeah. There was one story that you shared that I've just felt like I was there, right? <laughs> where, where, um, where you were trying to leave. Josh didn't want to leave, um, yeah. <laughs> and you were you you felt I don't know what you exactly what you described as uh, your emotion, but when I was in that with you as you were telling the story, I felt this embarrassment like my friend thinks that I am, right. and I really wanted that friendship, and I think that's what you were talking about in that story, but. I, I think that that there was this, there was always this mm-hmm. um, act right um, kind of mentality or or value growing up, mm-hmm. and and I I definitely carry that into adulthood right. and have reprimanded my children or given them the cold shoulder, you know, more times than I care to admit, um, be, because of that mm-hmm. and. I don't know. I think the stories were were um, were freeing, mm-hmm. and being able to <laughs> to humanize my, um, <laughs> my or to normalize mm-hmm. my my feeling uh, in those moments was was pretty valuable. Yeah. Um, out of the out of the book, just feeling like, oh, I'm not the only one who's <laughs> who's done this. Right. That's really yeah. encouraging to hear. Yeah. yeah. And what's so funny is, so I was having I was having my own meltdown while Josh, who was four at the time had his meltdown and then all of the, you know, all that transpired with that because I cared so much about what this other mom thought of me. And now I look at my almost 17 year old son who is just such a delight in my life. It's not like everything is perfect, but I just think about if I was imagining who he is now, the way that I talked to him then because of my own shame or embarrassment, I never would. Oh, it's just that, that whole try, especially because parenting young ones is so hard. It's just so hard. And so just trying to offer that, like we're a little further on the journey and it just gets better. And just being, seeing this fully formed, worthy of dignity person in front of you who's struggling in this moment because their little brains are not, they're not under development. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing that is always like, when I think about that from a theological frame, that moment or that message that you should, me as a parent, should have, I really need to have my child's behavior sorted, set, under control, because if I don't, what that means for later is you know, precarious, right? Yeah. So we have to get it right early so that it'll go well later. That's kind of a, a, a theme of that whole behavioral-focused um, uh, message and yeah, when I like, we have these fancy terms, you know, biblical terms, sanctification, or we are all being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Mm-hmm. I take from that that we are on a journey toward becoming the thing that we are yeah. called to be, right? right? We God does not expect me 
to show that I have been transformed today for later. He is bringing me along in that, right? And that's exactly how it goes for our children. So the question becomes, how do we enter into that transformation process? And that's where the relationship matters so much. Because if I disconnect with my child in order to prove that he's got it right now, behavioral control, um, I may, that may, you know, you know, Jesus talking about whitewashed tombs, like we can be people who look like we have it together, but on the inside, we're a mess, right? And he's saying, that's not the goal (laughs) to look like you've got it right. It's to be transformed from the inside out. And that's what the science shows. And to me, that fits what I think a theology of sanctification and transformation across the lifespan looks like. So we have to give us, I believe, I want people to have permission to enter into that long journey of becoming who we are meant to be in Christ. And I, I hope the book gives people some kind of way of, oh, how does that, how can I enter into that practice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So the book's called six needs of every child. Can you just kind of briefly tell us the six needs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I do, I, cause of your audience, you know, as a special connection, I feel talking to you guys about this because we were in Virginia together and, and I, when I graduated from UVA, um, became a fellow at the child parent attachment project. So, mm-hmm. A lot of this work the, begins with your community. We at yeah. that mm-hmm. clinic were contracted with social service organizations across the state to serve families like you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were bringing the science of attachment to the study and um, clinical support of, of those families. Um, and that is the basis of this book. The broad basis is that over 50 years of uh, research and attachment. And we did all sorts of fancy things, videotaping families, and that resource is, I think, still available uh, to some families in Virginia. But, yeah, this book was how do you take that really scientific, you know, long assessment clinic process and translate it into real life that you could maybe run with? So that's what we tried to do, and that's what I tried to do. And... That attachment framework basically has two hinges. One is human instinct for exploration, uh, to go out in the world and to discover and master it, and human instinct for to draw into a refuge of of safety uh, with someone because you're not big and strong enough to take on the world yourself and the world gets really hard and scary and dysregulated. So the six needs are built on those two movements that all of us, not just our kids, but us carry within us. And there are three needs for each of those moves. Uh, The three moves for exploration are delight, support, and boundaries. The three moves for refuge seeking are protection, comfort, and equipping. Mm -hmm. And so we arrange these, we arrange all these needs into a compass. Um, 
so that people could get a sense of the directional pull and the movements that parents, Jeffrey mm-hmm. calls them couples, a parent and child have together. So a child is going to want to go out and explore their world. As you'll see that as a baby, just how they look all around and they reach for things mm-hmm. and toddler paddles mm-hmm. away. Um, you know, teenager wants the keys to your car. Um, but then <laughs> we also yeah. are wired to come back when things get hard. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a baby will turtle or a toddler will, uh, e- 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 will sometimes only get a few feet away from you and then want to come right back. Right. It's both. And the ability to go out and come back and the different Mm -hmm. needs that a child has, once we become aware of them, we can just meet them in that relationship so much more easily. Um, And so again, to go out and explore their world, there, there is that delight, sending them off with delight, supporting them in their exploration boundaries, because they need to know how far is too far. And then when they run into trouble, the protection, um, what does this child need to be safe right now? The comfort to see their suffering and then the equipping. All right, let's figure out (laughs) what happened, what went wrong before you're able to go out again. And what I, what we hope is that you're going to know your kid. You're going to know like, Oh, because kids need to be able to do both. Well, you might have a child who wants to run around all run far, but not be able to come back and, and seek the things that they need to seek for refuge, which is also how they build health and resiliency. So you might need to maybe open yourself up a little bit more. Um, right. And you might have a kid who has a real tough time going out and exploring, and maybe you then would need to open up opportunities for them to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on the compass, the needle also has two parts, right? Yeah. And they move independently. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah. There's what your kid actually needs, um, and they don't necessarily know it. It's not like they're carrying around. Oh, what I need right now is I this. Need to delight uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh, they're just doing their thing, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and and what they may even label as their need, if they could, uh, may not be actually what they need. That's right. a bit a mystery. Um, and, uh, and it's really together, we're going to, uh, it's up to us together to solve that in, insofar as it is a mystery. Sometimes it's straightforward, but a lot of times it's, it's not straightforward. Right. And the issue is that what I may guess or where I may want to go based on what I see mm-hmm. in the moment may be actually in the opposite direction of what your kid actually needs at that moment. And now we're going to experience disconnection because we're pointing in two different directions. Right. And something that we, a needle cross situation that we have a lot and we had a lot in our house, particularly when the kiddos were little was one of the kids would act out about something. Um, and he's just having a big storm somewhere, (laughs) kitchen floor, wherever. And I just wanted to stop because the way that I grew up was like, you don't have these kinds of outbursts, like just Mm -hmm. stop it, stop it. So I want to give them a boundary, just stop. Right. Right. Well, Mm -hmm. what I'm learning is, okay. So what this kid actually needs is this level of out, this level of meltdown because of a little thing is an indication that there's probably something bigger going on. So taking a few minutes to stop in comfort 
saying, I'm here. I see you're really struggling. Do we need to talk about something? Makes this space that pulls us back together. Now, that doesn't mean that boundaries are never appropriate. But what that means is that I, the science and the compass gave me eyes to see, oh, there might be something else going on that actually, if I can figure that out, it's going to get us back on track and back connected much more quickly than if we just kept escalating the conflict. So a lot of you mentioned the families that we serve. Yeah. Um, are, they're almost all foster and adoptive families. Some of them are, are biological families in crisis, right, but yeah, for the adoptive and the foster families particularly, um, they don't have the history right. with the child to have this sort of groundwork done to know how right. this why this child is responding necessarily so yeah. well what, and they don't know right like like you said Jeffrey the, that the child, the child yeah. doesn't know and we we would see that in what we would call like a neurotypical child that has no issues with attachment so to expect a child that has multiple layers of trauma and attachment and you know and you know not in a stable situation um, for them to know how they're feeling is really really hard and what I love about these six needs is it's it's enough to cover it covers everything right but it doesn't overwhelm you so mm-hmm. we can look at that and say in this moment this person who really is a stranger right mm-hmm. um this is how they're responding but this is what i think they need and just you know try it and adjust from there yeah. but like we you know we say because we have three bio kids um like the other day right now, COVID, um, we get time kind of alone together in the car, right? So we go and we drive in the car and we put the little girls in the back seat and they nap and our big kids stay home and everybody gets a little space. So we just started doing this, but we'll have these talks in the car and, and our kind of terminology for our kids, um, is, is why are they being a little spicy? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's just like ooh, a little bit spicier than normal. Um, and so that's what, like we had our car date this week. And so that was kind of the topic of conversation. Why do you think so-and-so is being a little spicy and it's like they aren't able to say even as as bigger kids they're probably not able to tap into like kind of the complex layers of emotions but this is what I think is going on and this is what I think you know maybe they need and you know he's like oh yeah that makes sense that makes sense this is what they're struggling with but yeah for these families that we work with or even for our younger girls nonverbal, still struggling with attachment and anxiety even just knowing like for either party to know what the need is, I think is a challenge. I mean, yeah. The hope of the compass too, is that there's, and, and trying to, to break out of this idea is there's a right and wrong right. answer to the thing is like, mm-hmm. well, let's try delight. Like let's just pour delight into these right. little people for right. a while and see mm-hmm. if that gets us through this. Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> We're still struggling. Well, let's swing over here and try this. So sometimes just as a human being, I like limited options. Um, so <laughs> it also gives you like, I'm going to throw a dart in this direction and see what yeah. comes. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and I love to, a lot of times, um, in, in the world of, um, attachment and working with kids, like, um, so if, if you've taken any from our side of it, if you've had any kind of classes on, um, like how to approach, your, your new children, um, in your home, they say like the three C's, right? So you need to, um, calm, they need to calm down. They need to, and then you need an opportunity to connect with them. And then is your opportunity to correct. So like trying to correct the behavior, Mm -hmm. um, that, that you're seeing is, is, down on the list until you've helped them kind of feel safe and secure. And then you've connected with them. Um, they're they're trying to connect is, is just, I mean, trying to correct is just not going to work. And I heard it said, I think it was Karen Purvis, but 
she kind of gets everything for attachment, right? So like, um, <laughs> but it was basically rules without relationship don't work. Mm-hmm. And so when we get, um, especially when we get, you know, bigger kids in homes, um, you know, these homes have these rules and the kids aren't following the rules. And then there's these whole like, well, we gave a consequence and they just didn't even seem to care. And it's like, well, yeah, they don't <laughs> because they're not connected to you to, to care, to follow the rules. And I think that's one of the big challenges we see with families is how to, how to deal with those behaviors, basically. Hey, parents, you're tired of treating parenting like a job. I know I am, but what if we could change our perspective? What if we could see it as a journey? That's what this book, The Six Needs of Every Child, wants to help you do. There's psychological research, neuroscience, but also personal stories from the authors as parents and as people of faith. You mix this all together and you've got a field guide in your hands to to help you form the foundation of a thriving parent-child relationship. The Six Needs of Every Child is a guidebook that offers a roadmap for the journey of imperfect parenting. That's all we are. It will help you pivot from asking, what do I do, to how shall I be with this person? You want to pick this up, I promise. Read it, listen to it, and you'll see your kids' needs and how you've already got what it takes to meet them right where they are. Come on, take the pressure off of parenting. Order the book and start reconnecting with your kids today. Yeah, the, the, the uh, you know, we, obviously we're talking about the book in terms of um, uh, the context of uh, biological parents who have begun the journey with their children from day right. one. And, and that is a different set of circumstances than you are dropping into a relationship. At right. Yeah. right. So, but, so to come back, you know, this book was born out of working with those families for whom either it went, it's gone really badly from day one. Uh, they're still maybe working on it or uh, they've had to start over the kids and, and, a, and a caregiver. So um, those issues around, uh, foster adoption, I think the things, the important things to keep in mind is those needs still exist. They're, they're hardwired into us. Even if there's not connection, your, your, your child is still carrying the need for delight, support, boundaries, protection, comfort, equipping. Mm-hmm. What you're raising, Kelly, is the question is, how do I become an instrument of meeting those needs, all six of them, um, uh, and to your point, uh, I have to be strategic about how I'm going to approach those six needs. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I jump in, um, at a certain point, like boundaries rules, that's my starting point. Yeah. That's going to end badly right. because mm-hmm. there is that, um, connection hasn't yet been formed. So it begs the question, mm-hmm. well, how, how does connection form? Um, and that's mostly an emotional experience. So the two of those six needs, delight and comfort, we call them mirroring needs. Right. right. Um, Karen will talk about mirroring, um, but it's this, it's very emotional. Um, it is, it is um, kind of plugging into each other's uh, emotional systems when we engage in those two needs. So um, delights on the explore side, comforts on the distress side. 
right. we get a lot of the distress side with with these kids often certain kids they're just dysregulated part of becoming or ending up in foster adoption is they haven't had somebody regulating their internal mm-hmm. turmoil um, yeah. so they come to us uh, easily dysregulated and then there'll be other reasons too if they as you know in, in utero traumas and their nervous systems just are a wreck to begin with. So that comfort piece is a big part of those six needs. Comfort's a big step in for trying to lay Mm -hmm. some groundwork in a new relationship. Right. Um, I've I've heard you talk about, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, I've heard you talk um, that you feel like that's the most important need because that is the need that is, is lacking, at least in our kind of society structure. Um, That's where we don't understand it. It's hard, whatever. And so that's where, um, you know, that kind of the heart of maybe the, maybe not the most important need, but the, the neediest need. That word. Uh, <laughs> that well, it's the most uncomfortable. It's right. uh, uh, you know, in a broad sense, it's the most mm-hmm. uncomfortable position on that compass dial for right. for for everybody. Um, we none of us like that feeling of dysregulation. Mm-hmm. If, um, and and human beings are designed to um, uh, to pick up uh, feelings from other people. Mm-hmm. They are contagious. <laughs> Um, so if you're crying, I am, I am, my nervous system is resonating with that distress. Yeah, right. I mean, there are some people and, uh, I, God bless these, especially in the foster adoption who just have this innate ability to remain calm. That is not most people. Right. Uh, they have a special gift. Mm-hmm. For most of it, it's really hard to be in a place where there's dysregulation next mm-hmm. to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be, a, I think, a number one challenge. But even in like our families, we've grown up together. It's still a challenge, partly because in that case, I care so much about this person. Mm-hmm. I see their distress. I don't want them to be hurting mm-hmm. for their sake and for right. mine. Right. <laughs> Yeah, comfort's a tough one, but it's really it's unavoidable. We have to mm-hmm. we have to um, um, find a way to make peace with it somehow, and we have to make time for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because right. It's, it's not the doing that we're programmed, or so many of us are inclined to do. So mm-hmm. to take time to just see your child, to delight in them, to take time to sit with their pain without trying to fix it. To just be present with the pain without jumping ahead to, and the next time we're going to do this differently or, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I um, I think that kind of is my default. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I want to, I kind of, I I see it now uh, in the last few years, I think, um, and, and to try to provide comfort first, but I've, my, my, uh, correcting is like, a hundred miles an hour and yeah. I have to hold it back. Yeah. Right? Your boundary setting is yeah, jumping like, in real fast. It, it's really easy for me to say, do you know why that happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what could you do differently next right. time? And like, it's like, pat, pat, pat. Okay. How are you feeling? Great. Do you know why that happened? It's like, there's, there's <laughs> not enough, there's not enough space between right. for, for me, mm-hmm. I think. And yeah. I, and I think, you know, yeah. that's you're, probably why, why our kids go to her for comfort. <laughs> 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 then they do me. 
<laughs> but it's so important that you're aware of that. I'm that way right. too. Like I can have the dialogue. I need to stick with the comfort, stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. But I'm like, <laughs> I want to keep, I, and what you're talking about is that move to equipping. That is one of the most common, there's mm-hmm. comfort and equipping. They're right next to each other in the dial. And we often want to move as quick as possible to the comfort, especially if we're right. discomforted by the need for comfort and get mm-hmm. to the equipping. It's just yeah. the challenge of like, if I want my equipping to be to, to brought on board by my kid truly and deeply, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I have to spend enough time in the comfort for them right. to allow that information mm-hmm. to come in. Otherwise, it will go in and bounce off, mm-hmm. right? Because they're just not in the mental space to receive the good thing. Because what you want to give them is good. That's right that's not a bad thing. It's an important need. It's just, we want our children to make the most use of it as possible. And that will often require more time in the comfort zone than some of us, like you and I. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Well, and we, we, uh, we attended a crisis, um, like a parenting kids, in trauma, in crisis. Um, we attended a workshop a couple of years ago and that was really the heart of ever. I mean, that was, he was like, you want to boil it down to a quick fix that you can leave tonight and start. It's, it's all about comfort. It is literally about sharing your right. Like you have to be in a regulated space. So you have to be regulated, but once you are regulated, you literally share that with your child. So you sitting together, um, comforting your child, not, not in a time of distress. So, so they're calm. It's not, you don't wait for, you know, like, Oh, I've fallen or I've hurt myself or I'm upset or I'm scared or whatever, but just start the day off and then check in at some point in the middle of the day and then end the day with just sitting together, um, and comforting them because it builds that healthy attachment, but also it literally helps them regulate their brains. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I mean, you know, he said, you need to, you, you need to do this and prioritize it and you do it every day for 18 months and you'll start to see, which feels really overwhelming when you're, mm-hmm. you know, a parent and you're like, Whoo, 18 months, like really, that's a yeah. lot, yeah. <laughs> but it was great. And, you know, we left there and we're like, okay, well let's, you know, we, we came for this, um, you know, for work, for training for work. Um, but we were like, Hey, this could probably help one of our kids. And yeah. so we came home that night, I think, and started it. Mm-hmm. And now we probably are like right at 16, 15, 16 mm-hmm. months post. Um, and we, we do, and we see, um, the days that, that we don't prioritize that comfort, um, because we still got the little dysregulated, um, you know, that amygdala like takeover, right. Still, still crisis, um, fight or flight situations for their little, um, mind that the regulation is such an important part of the day. And it all goes back to comfort, just helping her feel safe. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's been huge. And that's really where we tell people to, anytime we, we talk with a family who's struggling, we just kind of pull it back to there and say, this is, this is where you've got to start. I think. We're a, obviously a, a two-parent household like you, right. but not all households are two-parent households. Mm-hmm. So how important is it for each parent to be good at all six of these? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking, can I, can I like get off the hook on some of these? Yeah. <laughs> can you outsource comfort? <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> This doesn't sound very promising. Uh, it's advantageous. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's advantageous if, if both of you can do both, right? Right. Like, yeah. The metaphor I was thinking about as you're talking, Kelly, is 
here's, here's the tension that I, I see in families in what you're saying, which I agree with. Like, that's, that's just the way it is. If we're just speaking biologically. Mm-hmm. That nervous system is behind in its development. Right. And if you're going to catch it up to the extent that that nervous system of your child can catch up and self-regulate, self-comfort, mm-hmm. uh, saying we had in the clinic was co-regulation needs, leads to self-regulation. What that means is I do it with you. And as I do that enough, then you do it within yourself. Yeah, I love that. That's good. There's just no, there's no other pathway to get mm-hmm. to self-regulation. So, but the problem is, is in a family system, it's like we, the rest of our family, let's say, I can go 60 down the highway and I can get a lot done. In fact, I've got a lot of things scheduled. I need to get to you know, this exit and that exit. And I've got one kid who's only able to go 15 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you feel that pressure, but I need to be able to go 60. I've got these other things going on, right? but what to do about the one who's going 15. <clears throat> and we get frustrated because I have to slow down to their speed to get them to speed up. And that only happens over a long period of time, that 18 months mm-hmm. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And at the end of 18 months, I can't know for sure whether their top end speed is going to be right. 40 or 60 <laughs> or maybe 30. Yep. Um, but th- I say that to say, yeah, in two-person families, two-parent or two-caregiver, or if it's extended family, the advantage of it is I can say, I can say to you, you one member of that family is spending time going 15 while the other member is doing those things at 60 that need to be done. Yeah. And then if we can hand off, you spend some time at 15 and then we trade off. That's very helpful. Um, if only one person is really can do that 15 mile per hour work, um, then that just depends on the dynamics of your your family. But that can create a strain because now mm-hmm. you know that that takes a lot. Of, and 15 seems like a break, but it actually is more work, right? It's it's right. training. So these are you know these are family system challenges that there's no right again no right or wrong there's just trade-offs so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and i want to jump we talked a lot about um comfort and the you had said you know the other side of that is delight um so those are both mirroring needs right you're you're seeing your child and i think I can't remember now which one of you said it, but at the, towards the end of the book, um, just that you, this is, you know, there's a, there's an excellent, um, resource at the very end of this book that, um, where you can evaluate and you evaluate, evaluate each other, which historically usually ends poor for us, right? Where we evaluate each other because you're highlighting deficits and you're like, this doesn't feel real good. Um, but we did really well. Like we were, I think we did really well with we that. It was, a lot of, it was a lot of personal therapy for me to identify <laughs> some of these things. So. But what I saw once when we were going through that, we kind of also looked at it from the lens of how would a foster and adoptive parent maybe yeah. deal with it in that moment. So to kind of jump to the other side of comfort, um, the the delight, I think one of you said that you, you can't really overdo this one, right? At the end of the book, it was like, where do I under-respond and where do I over-respond? And maybe delight is that area that you maybe don't 
no one maybe is at risk of over responding and delighting of your child because it's not like you're the most perfect human being ever, but it is you are so wonderfully made just as you are. So you're affirming, I mean, for us, and I know that this is my daily prayers that my, my kids are confident in their identity in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So and when we delight in them, we're delighting in, in their identity in Christ. And like you said at the beginning, Jeffrey, that's not... Um, who this person you will one day be, but that is who you are right now um, that we still find so much delight in. And I think, at least for adoptive and foster families, um, this is maybe where they're going to see some wins with that Mm -hmm. behavior modification. Um, Because when you, when you delight in a child and you, you know, like we talk about, like if, if this is the behavior that you, that you want to see done with, um, so like whining or hitting or whatever, um, then delighting in, in the positives, right. Is, is a way that you're going to start to see, I think, improvement, at least what we, you know, what we've seen is, um, and because like kids, we know they like that, that negative attention because negative attention is usually bigger. Um, so we talk about like, Oh, just, you know, a lot of positive attention. So they don't resort to negative attention, but even a lot of positive attention, like that negative attention is a bigger response. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time kids, especially we've got the kids with rad, like the reactive attachment disorder, they really crave those big responses. So looking at those behaviors and really honing in on like, this is what we want to just delight in. Like, you know, we see you being so kind and we know that as a part of your spirit because we see that. So I think that's where there's, there's hope maybe for adoptive and foster families that there's never too far gone. Right. Um, you can find something. And, and I think, um, in the book, you'll say like, if you can't start with delight, because let's, let's be real. Like there are times where we, we don't delight (laughs) and like there are seasons where it is hard maybe to find that delight. Um, but start with gratitude. I'm grateful for this, um, in my child and and let them hear you say it as well. I think that's powerful. Yeah, that is, um, that's an important point that with, um, with our biological children, we've been delighting in them since Mm -hmm. the first time. And that really is building an an account um, against which we draw to do those harder things, like in the boundary. Mm -hmm. We can say hard things to our kids who we have known from day day one and been delighting in from day one because it's drawing against that store of our kids who've come to us and they don't have, we don't have that relational store of delighting moments. And Mm -hmm. then we go in and try and say a hard thing. Uh, You're like, no, thanks. I'll, I'll I'll take a pat. I don't need to deal with that. Um, So you're talking about like building an account up Mm -hmm. so that you draw against it when there will be times that you need to say, what's going on is not okay. And I need to tell you straight up, it's not okay. Um, And this is what needs to happen because of it, whatever it look like. Um, And yeah, look, for so many of these kids, and I'm thinking especially of the older kids, um, there's a lot to admire when you think their stories and how they mm-hmm. have survived them um, and continuing to survive their hard story. Uh, there's a lot to admire. And, and I think even delight in um, their mm-hmm. perseverance, their, their 
um, the life within them that strives to make um, good out of their life, even if, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's problematic how they're going about it. Right. Um, so, yeah, finding it whatever we can to reflect back that we believe in them, believe in their story. We see things mm-hmm. that maybe nobody has named for them is huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that there are two things that can really get in the way of both, especially of our delight, but also of our comfort. And it's, um, do we feel delighted in ourselves? Do we feel that we ourselves are worthy of love? Do we believe that God looks at us and says, wow, mm-hmm. look at you, uh, my daughter, my son. I want to dance over you with joy. Because if we don't, it's so hard <laughs> to see and delight in that. So I also believe that there is space. There, there is a lot of personal work that can be done to feel like, could I just sit with this idea that I am loved and then see what might open up, um, in you as you're able to interact with your kids. And then, um, I think fear the question that when I'm having the hardest moments with my kids, what Jeffrey says to me is, what are you scared of? Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of, so much of my interactions in the moment, have to do with fears that I have in the future for what might become of my kids. And I write in the book about um, my own family has really pretty severe mental health um, disorders and histories and a lot of pain Mm -hmm. that's come from that. And, um, and so I've had to really recognize when my in the moment response to my Mm -hmm. child is because of a terror (laughs) of what might become of him and what I'm seeing as a manifestation of right. that a lot of comfort. We had one little guy who was pretty dysregulated for a long time, longer than you would think. And he would, um, he would scream, uh, he would scream, I hate you. You're the worst mom ever scream mm-hmm. and, and flailing and, um, couldn't be touched. <laughs> couldn't be right. anything. And there's that part of me that one, you're just like, should I let him say these things? Like, <laughs> Right. Seems like we need to bring the ball. But then I know about, I know how the parent, I know how it has gone to harshly parent kids who have some of these, um, Mm -hmm. some of these issues. So I would just sit on the floor, a room away for, I don't know, 10 feet away and just say, I'm here because kids don't Mm -hmm. actually, they're saying these words. They don't know what they mean. I'm hearing these words in a way that hurts or is, I think that he means it, but they don't, they're just what I, what I tried to picture was like, he's screaming, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. So I would just and try not to think about it and just pray that God would be with me in the moment and just stay close. And Mm -hmm. inevitably it might be 25 minutes, but he would crawl over and crumble and then we could hug, but it was like shutting my mouth. And just right. be present and letting, taking my fear about what was going on to God, mm-hmm. believing that God loved this little person yeah. as, much yeah. as, God, as much as I do and as much as God loves me. Yeah. 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 Well, Kelly mentioned the back of the book, which really could have been a second book <laughs> um, because of, because of the value of it. Right. Um, the, the kind of the, the, uh, survey or the, um, the work, the workbook, yeah, Yeah. the assessment piece of it all. Um, and I know there were a couple of them where (laughs) I found myself in the extremes and I was like, well, that doesn't seem that extreme. And then I was like, oh, maybe that's me then. (laughs) 
like that was me in that very first question yeah. about under responding. Like, I don't think that's bad. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Maybe I should pay attention here. Right. Um, but I think for for um, for the listeners, for those who pick up the book, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the most valuable pieces of the right. whole thing. Excuse me, um, is is being able to kind of walk through that now mm-hmm. with some practical tools, and um, so that's in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. I really think you sold yourself short by not selling it as a separate piece, but um, but I do. It's so valuable that mm-hmm. uh, you know that I hope people would would continue through that. Right. through that part. Um, is there anything else um, that you want us to know that you want our listeners to know ab- mm-hmm. about the book and, and some concepts that uh, maybe we haven't talked about or, or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so to add to that, uh, the six needs.com. Uh, so that's the book blank. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also find it through the Growing right. Connected uh, okay. website, or the book link there. But um, the opportunity to do some uh, in-depth study material around these needs, I think, could be really valuable uh, either as in a group with other um, uh, other parents that you trust to be vulnerable with in particular or as a couple or just individually um, because we really do believe God wants um, to do a work in us as well as our children. And, and I hope that comes across in the book. This isn't about um, just your child. It's about you and your child <laughs> and what God is doing in both of your lives. Um, and so uh, I think um, I just really encourage folks, if, if you're ready for that sort of exploration, um, I think that's, I would really encourage you. Yeah, and that, and those materials, that. if you just enter in your purchase information on the Growing Connected book page, so the sixneeds.com, um, and you'll get a written form of that uh, curriculum online to follow that's along awesome. with. Awesome. Okay. Wow. Um, well, we'll make sure to include links for that in the description of all this stuff so mm-hmm. that they can find where, and the where to go to get all that. And the only thing I want to say is good enough parenting. It's good enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's just celebrate, you know, that we're in it, we're in it here trying. And that mm-hmm. is what science shows matters. We're in right. it here trying and loving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We talk about that a lot that, love, you know, that especially when you are loving a child from a hard place, that can be difficult. Um, and so love does not have to be that that feeling, right? It's not, it's not that lovey dovey feeling like you were saying that you have when you hold a baby and they smell so good and they're so sweet and they're asleep and they give that little smile and whatever it is. It, it literally is just the commitment to keep showing up and mm. I'm doing my best. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to get it wrong probably a lot, but mm. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm committed yeah. and I'm just going to keep showing, showing up. And I can't remember who it was that said some, sometimes love just, just looks like a safe place, comfort, food, you know, you just, you're helping meet those needs and then slowly wearing away at the, the emotional stuff. Yeah. So our, our hope is to be able to use mm-hmm. the book and the, the work, right. do the self-evaluations at the end mm-hmm. and all of that for all of our families because of how, 
how valuable it will be for them in the process of bringing children into their home, whether it's for um, a few months or if it's permanently Mm -hmm. um, to to understand. And even for the biological children that they have in the home or children that they, um, whether, whether they are planning to foster or adopt or not, they just, they have, they are parents of children in the home and they need to know how to best love and care for these for these kids. Mm-hmm. It's such a valuable resource. We want to make it available to all of our families as, right. as, um, as they go through the, through their journeys. Um, and for, for us and for me in particular, it has been, <laughs> um, cheap therapy that has done, that has done, <laughs> right. um, what, what about six sessions worth probably would have unpacked. So, um, so thank you for that. That is so excited to work with you and your families, mm-hmm. and just really are grateful for everything that you're pouring into the world. Yeah. It is, well, it is hard work. Well, we're we're thankful for you yeah. too. And as soon as you can um, mm-hmm. um, leave New Zealand and come back, we'll make sure that uh, we find a, a house next door. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a dream? <laughs> right? It yeah. would be. It would be. Well, thank you guys for your time yeah, so and um, for for making this happen across the world. And um, yeah. thank you for the years of investment that you've made into this work mm-hmm. and for putting it in such a beautiful format right. um, for us and for families to, to yeah. benefit from. Well, all right. If that didn't um, challenge you, um, maybe you should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> that was... Um, that was pretty powerful. Yep. The interview was powerful, but mm-hmm. I, I think um, just going through the book and doing some of that self-assessment and see having the mirror held up in front of me mm-hmm. um, had had some impact, some significant impact on just understanding what I bring to the relationship with our children mm-hmm. and um, and how to do better. I right. think in the things that my kids need. I think what was what was maybe the most eye opening for me was when Jeffrey said that these not only are needs that our kids have and they carry with them, but these are needs that we have also. Right, right. And it almost took it was it was like that took a little burden off of my shoulder, like like I'm trying to provide something for these kids, which is true. But at the same time, I have these needs. So there's, we're kind of sharing our pursuit of these needs, right? Mm-hmm. And not that, um, not that they're trying to fill those needs in us. It's our responsibility to fill those needs for them. But I can relate to their needs if I recognize that I also have these needs. And I don't know why that was a, that was a big like revelation for me, mm-hmm. but it was. And I, I mean... I told Jeffrey, and I think I said it in the in the interview. This was like this was therapy for me <laughs> <laughs> to read this and to go through it and to mm-hmm. to have them sort of um, open themselves up, especially in Amy's stories. Right. Um, um, it was really really relatable and really challenging and really encouraging. So. Yeah. Well, I think too for me, what I realized is that. Um, 
not just how the the way I'm responding has way more to do about me mm-hmm. than it has to do about our kids, right? Yeah. Um, and we say a lot, you know, um, and I, Amy said it in the interview, is that sometimes she's parenting from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. And I know that I am guilty of that parenting from a place of fear of if I don't fix this now, then what does this look like in 10, 20 years in our kids? Um, and I think that just giving us permission to not be afraid of that future possibility, Mm -hmm. um, and just really challenging to stay in the moment and parent that situation, um, independent of the fear is, is huge. So good. Well, what can people do next? What's next? All right. So buy the book. Okay. There you, you can go. buy it anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, do the self-assessment at the end. So and valuable. And if you are married in a relationship, um, do the self-assessment together because sometimes we can't see our <laughs> um, blind spots. I mean, that's why they're called Not blind sometimes, spots. sometimes, always. Yeah. yeah. Never. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's impressive how your partner usually can see your blind spots really well. Isn't it? Yeah, right? Yeah. So, hey, so we did it. Yeah. <laughs> we survived. Right, we did. Yeah. And it didn't take that long. I mean, we did it like 15, 20 minutes. Yep. We also did it in context of quarantine. Right. So we've been together a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. And we still we still love each other. Yeah. And yeah. we value each other. Yep. Maybe more. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I think it, it wasn't a big, heavy conversation. It was kind of funny. Like, yeah. especially because I was reading, you know, the, um, like may tend to under respond. And I think the first two statements, you're like, that doesn't feel like an under response. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, over responder over here. Right. Right. So like, I'm pretty, pretty aware of that. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> It's okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, do the self-assessment. It's super helpful. Yep. Um, and then you can actually go to the six needs.com and register your purchase and then have a lot more stuff, um, accessible to you, which yeah. is really cool. Yep. And then, Hey, if you are local to us, so if you are in our um, local community in coastal Virginia, um, and you are, um, parenting children impacted by trauma. So you're a foster or adoptive family. We really want to just gift you a copy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a link in the episode description to request that. Yep. Yep. It's very simple. Just give us your contact information so we know where to send it and we'll get it to you. Yeah. Hey, one more thing. Did you know, did you know mm-hmm. that you can leave a voice message on our podcast? Really? Yes, you can. It's really cool. Um, there's a link in the podcast description That'll walk you through it, but you can say things like, hey, we loved it, or hey, you talk too much, or whatever. <laughs> if there was something valuable um, that uh, that you took from it, we'd love to hear from you about that, and it's all right there in the um, podcast description. Um, another one more thing. <laughs> we just recorded a new episode with um, Lindsay Strickland from Worth the Conversation and Lauren Trimper. You got to interview them. Yeah. And um, it's all about advocating for your child. Mm-hmm. Big, big conversation, very important. And um, while they are certainly the experts, um, you, Kelly Nichols, are a powerhouse in this arena as well. <laughs> so um, I think that people are going to really, really get a lot out of the conversation. And um, I hope that you know 
that our kids have the biggest advocate in their corner because of you. So this is going to be a strong episode for people to hear from moms who have fought for their kids. So I hope that, um, I hope that you subscribe to the podcast and that you, um, so that you get notified of these new episodes, but this one is, is going to be a strong one. So, all right. I think that's all for real this time. Make sure you subscribe so that you know when new stuff uh, comes to the podcast and uh, leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. There you go. 